Well, good morning again, and uh, we're going to read God's Word together now. So if you have a Bible or another means of accessing uh, God's Word, then I wonder if you could turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. And we're going to read verses 1 to 18. 1 Kings 19, verses 1 to 18. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and strengthened by that food, he travelled for forty days and forty nights until he reached Horeb the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, go out, stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus, and when you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram, also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel, and anoint Elisha son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahola to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. 
Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. Let's pray. Father, this story that we've just read may be many, many thousands of years old. But it is so relevant today to us. And Father, I'm asking that by your Holy Spirit, you'll minister into our hearts this morning and teach us from this story. You'll teach us of your goodness. You'll teach us of your presence. You'll teach us of your ministering into every part of our lives. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you that we have this freedom to look at it now. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will be amongst us, whether we are physically in this place or whether we are watching elsewhere. May your Spirit, Lord, lead and direct. And may any weaknesses in my words, Lord, be overcome by the Holy Spirit who ministers into people's hearts and lives this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so I ended up with the last of our Through the Storm series. And uh, over the last four weeks, we have looked at stories of Noah, of Jonah, of Jesus, and of Paul, all of which have been involved in very physical storms. And today we conclude with the story of Elijah. And this may seem a bit of an odd choice because there is no natural storm in the story of Elijah. In fact, there is very little water indeed involved because it was set in a three-year period of drought. There may not be a natural storm. Elijah's, though, is a very personal storm, one that's played out in his very being, his mind and his soul. Elijah is a faithful man of God. He is deeply honourable to the God he knows and loves. And he's someone who has walked obediently with God. He stood for God in the face of enemies and opposition. And he's had mountaintop experiences. And yet in this passage we have just read, we find him despondent, alone, fearful, discouraged, downright depressed and wondering what God is up to. I think it's fair to say that we all have Elijah moments of different kinds. One day we are close to God, all is going well, and we're knowing God's victories, great and small, in our lives. And then suddenly one or a number of things, some obvious and some not, send us hurtling downwards. And like Elijah, we can find ourselves fearful, despondent, alone and discouraged. Asking the question, where are you, God? I said at the beginning that this was an old story. Or as I prayed, I said this this is an old story, but it's very, very relevant today. But just to go alongside this story... I want to weave into it uh, a story of a young man that Sally and myself know, who, whose story I would liken a little bit to Elijah's in this last couple of years. 
And uh, with his permission this morning, and he may even be watching from where he is, I share his story, and I also have permission to show a picture of him as well. So, so this is Dan, Daniel. Um, first met Daniel when he was 10 years old. He came to the camp that Sally and myself run. We watched him grow. We watched him become uh, a young leader. And then as an older teenager, Daniel, through his own church, went on some short-term mission trips to Croatia. And in doing so, he felt a deep call on his life to go and serve there full-time. So Daniel undertook a, a theology degree at Moreland's and gave up his life here in the UK to go and serve God full-time in Croatia. And all was well. But in 2020, Daniel suffered a double COVID infection in Croatia, so badly that he had to return home. And for many, many months, he has been very unwell. And still today, he is suffering the effects of long COVID or long haul COVID as he referred to it. And he's described it in a written letter as the, uh, as the hardest and darkest season of his life. He says, mentally and emotionally, the effects of a chronic illness and the trigger triggering of mental health conditions, he said in his case, PTSD and depression were soul-destroying. He says, my mind was in a place of darkness where no light could even seem to get in. My faith spiralled out of control as I wrestled with God and his apparent abandoning, pain-inflicting, loneliness-inducing character. I couldn't see, it, couldn't see his hand, and at points I didn't even believe he was there. Perhaps he didn't even exist. We're going to come back to Daniel a little bit later. But as I said, when I think of Daniel, I see a lot of similarities to Elijah. Now, photography in Elijah's day wasn't quite as good. So you'll, you'll have to put up with uh, this, the next best thing. We pick up the story of Elijah where he is fearful, down, despondent, and actually he wants his life to end. But how on earth did Elijah get to this point? Well, let me give you a very quick recap of what's been going on in Elijah's life. There are only three main chapters in, in 1 Kings that tell the story of Elijah, with a spattering of other incidents in other places. But God's people, Israel, have had a succession of evil kings. And in the time of Elijah, King Ahab comes to the throne. And the Bible describes him as more evil than any king before him. Coupled with that, he marries an equally evil queen, if not more evil, by the name of Jezebel. And together they lead God's people away from the Lord to serve false gods. Now Elijah appears on the scene with no introduction from a little town called Tishbe and goes up to Ahab and confronts him. And he says to Ahab, there is, I'm going to pray and there's going to be no rain on this land until I say so. I guess Elijah was trying to get Ahab to look up and see that God was the one in control, not him. 
Having confronted Ahab, Elijah then goes to hide. God tells him to go and hide in a ravine where God brings um, uh, food to him via ravens of bread and, and, he, and meat, and then he drinks from the brook. So already, Elijah has had two miracles. One, he's prayed and the rain stopped. Two, he's in a ravine and he's being fed uh, by God. And then the brook dries up. So God sends him north to a place called Zarephath. He says, I've put a widow there in place who's going to look after you, Elijah. So off Elijah goes to Zarephath, meets this widow, and this widow looks after Elijah. There's another miracle goes on here because this widow has got the very final dregs of flour and oil in a pot. And she says to Elijah, I'm going to use these to make a cake of bread. My son and myself are going to eat it. And that is it. We're then going to die. And Elijah says to her, if you make me a cake first, a cake of bread, I promise you, he said, God will look after you. And that pot of flour and that jar of oil will not run out. And so it was. And Elijah sees a miracle number three. And then, tragically, the widow's son dies. And cut a very long story short, the, the, the widow confronts Elijah and says, why, why have you let this happen? And Elijah scoops up the son, takes him to a room in the house and cries out to God for his life. And the young man is restored now, when all, while all this is going on, Jezebel is killing God's prophets. The drought and the famine continue, and God sends Elijah to King Ahab. And on the way, Elijah meets a man called Obadiah. Now, Obadiah serves in Ahab's uh, court, but Ahab is a God, uh, Obadiah is a godly man. And he says to Elijah, I just need you to know, I've hidden a hundred prophets away in a cave another miracle. Elijah then meets Ahab and challenges him about abandoning God. And we have this great scene up on Mount Carmel, and many of you will know the story, where Elijah has this duel with the 450 prophets of Baal, and God answers in the most dramatic fashion. God's power is displayed, and the false prophets are all put to death. Now, Ahab goes back to Jezebel and tells Jezebel what Elijah has done. And at this point, this is where we picked up the story this morning, Jezebel is determined that she is going to kill Elijah. And so Elijah, quite rightly, is now terrified. And he runs for his life. He has been loyal to God. He's shown courage. He's seen success. He's seen provision. He's experienced God at every turn. He's seen miracle after miracle, but all of a sudden, Elijah is now fearful. He's down, he's despondent, he feels a total failure, and undoubtedly questioning God in his circumstances. In verses 3 to 5 of chapter 19, it says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Bathsheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. Coming to a broom tree, he sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. 
A few minutes ago, we left my friend Daniel in a place of deep despondency. And what I love about what I next read about Daniel is something very, very simple, but yet deeply profound. And he simply, in bold in his letter, says this. Here's Daniel, abandoned, down, lonely, wonder if God is there, or if he even exists. And then Daniel says this. What I discovered was God never left. And he goes on to say, he brought me to my knees. He upturned my world to evaluate Jesus Christ and my entire faith. He says, I have developed a deeper trust than I ever would have without what I've been through. God has brought me to start seeing the light again, to see God again and his embracing arms. I'm not through this illness yet, or the struggles, but I'm on the way out of a pit that I couldn't get out of alone. Daniel had an encounter with God. And that left him saying without any doubt whatsoever, I discovered that God never left. And Elijah is about to have two encounters with God himself. The first is an encounter of provision, and the second is an encounter of God's presence. So let's first look at the provision. Elijah is on the run. He is a wanted man. And he heads to Beersheba. Beersheba was the furthest point south in Judah. And then he abandons his servant and heads another day into the desert. I think Elijah makes a little bit of an error here because he cuts himself off from his last human relationship in abandoning his servant and he finds himself at the lowest he can be, praying that he might die. And I think in life we, we often fall into this pattern, don't we, of, of simply just wanting to be on our own. When things get tough, we kind of get into this, I just want to shut my door and be all on my own. Just leave me alone. And I think that's one of the, kind of the worst things that we can do, is to cut ourselves off from human relationships, from people who are there to love and care for us and pick us up. But Elijah, for whatever reason, decides he wants to go into the desert alone. And this is where we next find him at the very, very lowest he can possibly be, actually praying that he might die. But in Elijah's lowest moment, God takes over. And no matter how low life drives us, however much we may judge our own failures, God never gives up on us. Elijah is exhausted and emotionally spent and he falls asleep under a tree. You know what? God doesn't need telling that Elijah desperately needs help. He needs restoration. And God meets Elijah right where he is at. I think God's really good at that. He meets us right where we are at, if we will let him. 
in verses 6 to 8, we read this. He looked around, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And strengthened by that food, he travelled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. God allows Elijah both rest and refreshment. God doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't blame him. He doesn't lecture him. He doesn't tell him, snap out of it, Elijah. Get on with the job I've given you to do. Elijah's mind was full of fear and full of failure. You know, exhaustion and fatigue can make us think all sorts of things that are not true. We can believe all sorts of lies. God wants to restore the equilibrium. And so, for Elijah, he provides, first of all, for his physical needs. And as I was thinking about this, some of us, I think today, just might need that time of restoration. Some of us, in our circumstances, need refreshment and rest. Some of us need to give ourselves a break. Some of us need to admit that actually things are not okay. We may need rebalancing. But we have a God who is the ultimate restorer. And we have those who we can call on among us that can help in that situation. And maybe that's you this morning and uh, I'd encourage you to allow God to do that work in your life. That work of restoration. Having been restored, Elijah goes on a journey. A journey that takes 40 days and 40 nights over some of the roughest terrain. It's actually over 200 miles that he travelled to Mount Horeb. Which is actually Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And when Elijah gets there, he goes into a cave and spends the night there. And the following day, he experiences the presence of God. Not only has Elijah taken himself away from all human relationships, the next thing he does is he puts himself in a very dark and lonely place. And God comes to him and he says, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, I don't know what emphasis was put on the way God asked that question. Was God saying to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Was he saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? Was he saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? Well, whatever the emphasis God put on that question, Elijah's answer, I think, would have been the same. And in verse 10, he says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. 
The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. We don't know also how Elijah was responding, what the, the emphasis that he was putting on what he was saying. But I sense that Elijah really rips into God. I think he has a right go at him. I think he really vents at God. I think Elijah's crying out, God, I've given you my all. Your people have rejected you, broken your altars, killed your prophets, and it's just me left, and now they want to kill me too. That's why I'm here, God, because I'm scared and I'm alone and I'm forgotten. I think God allows Elijah to vent. Again, he doesn't pull him up or rebuke him, even when he claims to be the only one of God's prophets left. Because remember, Elijah had been told by Obadiah, I've hidden a hundred prophets. But in his anxiety and his depression, his mind had been fed lots of lies. You are the only one left, Elijah which simply wasn't true. And do you know what God says to Elijah? He says, Elijah, get out of this dark cave and go and stand in the light. Go and stand on the mountain because you are about to experience my presence. I think God knew that Elijah needed a personal encounter with him. What's really interesting in this passage, and I've read this story countless times, is that Elijah doesn't do what God tells him to do. He doesn't actually leave the cave. He doesn't leave it straight away. The next thing that happens is we see these three almighty forces of nature. A wind that tears the mountains apart and shatters rocks. We have an earthquake and we have a fire one after the other. And the passage we've read this morning says, God was not in them. I think it's fair to say we can be sure that God was behind them, but he was not in them. And after all of these incredible phenomena, there comes a gentle whisper. And it's the whisper that actually draws Elijah finally out of the cave. You see, the presence of God in this situation is not in the big and the powerful, but it's in the gentle, reassuring, softly spoken voice of God, a whisper, a still, small voice. And so often in our circumstances, we want God to break through with something powerful and significant to turn our circumstances around. But actually what we need, probably much more, is the reassuring voice of God saying, I've got this situation, I've got you, I've got your back. You see, God is less about the booming voice the bright lights and the miraculous 
and more about the loving, caring Father God that he is coming alongside us. Now, most of you know that I'm a dad and I've had experiences of children who are frustrated and upset with a a, a situation who will take themselves to their room and shut the door and I find myself going up to them and I've had to learn that frustration cannot be met with frustration. It doesn't work. And so in the times when I've made those mistakes and got frustrated at them being frustrated and angry, I found myself sitting down on the bed, getting close to them, and simply saying to them, tell me what's wrong. Tell me all about it. Let's talk. I think the presence that sits beside and listens is reassuring and helps to bring us to that point of resolution. Do you know what? When someone whispers, you have to get close in order to hear them. And God wants us close to him. He wants to draw alongside. He doesn't want us hiding in the cave. He wants us to hide in him. Too much noise will prevent us from hearing a whisper. I wonder what's so noisy in our lives that we can't hear the very gentle whisper of God. Is it the noise of mobile phones, the noise of television, the noise of other things screaming out for our attention? How on earth are we going to hear the voice of God, the whisper of God, when there is so much noise? I encourage you, if you don't already, to start taking time where you simply sit and ask God to speak. Shut everything else off and say, God, come whisper. Speak into my very being. When Elijah comes out of the cave, God repeats his question. What are you doing here, Elijah? And I don't know if you notice, but this time Elijah pulls his cloak over his face. It seems that he comes humbly before God. And in this act of humility, Elijah and God speak together. And God gives Elijah some real truths of reassurance. He reassures him that he was still his man. He reassures him that he's going to give him a helper in the form of Elisha. And more than that, he really reassures him that he's not alone because there are 7,000 others in Israel that have not turned away from God. And I couldn't finish this morning without returning to Daniel because Daniel's story has moved on as well and he has had a wonderful outcome from his circumstances. God draws alongside him and reassures him. Daniel finishes his letter to us recently 
about telling us how he had applied for a master's in sustainable development at Exeter University. He said, I didn't believe I would get in due to its prestige and its high entry requirements. Two days later, Daniel got an unconditional offer. And the reason for the acceptance was this. The richness of the experience that you will bring, especially with your time in Croatia and the things you have been through at such a young age. On top of that, there's a Christian family down, where, down near the campus where he's studying who had been praying for a young student to come and live with them. Daniel is now living with this Christian family and has embarked on uh, this course down uh, at Exeter University. He's also been provided with all the finance that he needs. But the best part, says Daniel, is God has given me the dream course that I wanted. Because before I studied theology, I wanted to be a Christian fighting climate change. You know what? God proved himself in Elijah's storm. He's proved himself in Daniel's storm. And whatever you are going through today, great or small, or will do in the future, hold fast to the truths that we've learned today and in this series, because God will prove himself to you too. Just lean in and hear his gentle whisper. Get up close so that you don't miss it. And be assured that he has never left you. Amen. We're going to move straight into communion. And I just really sensed this morning that we should do this in a really quiet, reflective fashion. One that allows us to sit quietly and allows God to whisper or speak in the stillness into our very lives. You know, when Jesus hung on that cross, he proved that he was compassionate, and kind, that he cared for our every single need. Right to the point of forgiveness. And he ministers grace into our lives. Ministers grace on the cross and then every single day his grace is new and fresh to us. So I wonder if we could just peel back our first layer to get your bread, your wafer. And just in the quietness, allow the God of grace to speak into your life. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and broke it. After he'd done so, he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body given for you. Take it and eat it and keep doing it in remembrance of me.
And so we thank you, Lord Jesus, this morning that you gave yourself for us, that we might continually know the grace of God in our lives. We eat in remembrance of you, Lord Jesus. Amen. And you know, we drink this together because we're family. We drink this together because we look after each other and care for each other in the same way that Jesus cared for us. And so, hopefully you've managed to expose the, uh, the grape juice underneath. And once again, in a moment, we're going to drink together because we are one family who look after and care for each other in the same way that God cares for us. Jesus, we thank you that you willingly gave up your life for us. We thank you that you cried in victory, it is finished. And so, Jesus, we thank you and we drink this in remembrance of you as you commanded. And we do it together because we love you and we love each other. Amen. If any of you would like to be prayed with, then can I really encourage you to reach out to someone near you this morning or ask for prayer or request prayer. Um, If you don't want to physically be prayed for, we can pray for you. Um, Once again, I hand back to our our band. Thank you, Christine and Ben, for leading us this morning. And uh, we're going to close our service uh, as led by Christine. Thank you.